So the reading this evening is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 to 11, found on page 1188 of the Church Bibles. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The devil, according to an old story, advertised his tools for sale. And on the day of the sales, the tools were placed for everyone to look at, each marked with its price. It was a treacherous lot of goods. Envy, but apart from the shiny set of tools, there was one tool just put at one side, which was well-worn and rusty, but the price was very, very high. A curious customer said, what is this tool? This tool, said the devil, is discouragement. Why is it so expensive? Because, said the devil, it's much more useful than all the other tools. I can pry open and get inside someone's heart. And I can get to places I cannot get to with any of the other tools. And once I get inside, I can make them do whatever I choose. It is badly worn and rusted because I have used it on every single person on earth. Well, this story does emphasize the damage that discouragement can do to the heart of a person. Discouragement can make the greatest person ineffective. It can choke all growth. It can bring progress to a standstill. It can render a Christian, a leadership team, even a curate like George, useless more easily than anything else. For when we are discouraged, we find it difficult to pray. When we're discouraged, we find it difficult to open our Bibles. When we're discouraged, we find it almost impossible to step out in faith. We don't trust God And in discouragement, we stumble back into old sins and old habits. So 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, Encourage one another and build one another up. This is not, by the way, let's just affirm one another and speak good things to each other. This is not a call to the emotionally intelligent to just be lovely to other people. This is a deep spiritual piece of work. And the challenge I think that Paul gives us is it is a challenge for all of us 
to engage in the spiritual discernment and the spirit, use the spiritual tool of encouragement. So, can we pray? Because this is not a journey down memory lane of an old vicar coming back. This is about today. And the only way I think God's word gets applied into our hearts and becomes something other than an interesting sermon or an emotionally intelligent affirmation from someone else is when the Holy Spirit takes God's word and gives you a depth of wisdom that you could never use on your own. Are, you, are we up for that? Shall we pray? Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your word. And we believe that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you speak to us here and now for today. So open our ears, soften our hearts. Help us dream what this church could be as we build one another up, as we encourage one another in Jesus' name. Amen. So little wonder that time and again through the New Testament, and particularly, by the way, in Paul's teaching, we are encouraged, we are told simply, encourage one another. Spur one another on. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18, the Thessalonians are told to encourage each other with the words of Paul's letter. I think it's an echo, isn't it, of the encouragement that we should use words of Scripture to build each other up. My father got converted as a student, and he was in an organization that's a little bit rare nowadays called the Navigators. And the Navigators encouraged you to learn a memory verse every single day off by heart so that you become, your mind would become saturated with God's word. The problem is every letter he ever wrote to me, and he wrote me many letters. I worked abroad for many years and he wrote to me every day. He would always finish his letter with a Bible reference, but he'd never write it out. And I began to get a bit irritated I thought he was just making sure that I kept opening my Bible. But actually, I wonder if he was onto something. I don't think now that it was just a favorite verse he was quoting. I think he had already prayed that verse for me. But actually, perhaps he was just being a bit tentative in writing the reference down rather than writing out the scripture in full. David, look this up and test it, I think is what he was saying. Because I think we need encouraging every single day. It's one of the reasons I think we read our scriptures every day. We use some reading plan. Because I'm convinced the Lord speaks to us. But might it be that actually what he says to you is going to fuel how you encourage someone else? For it's not just on Sundays we need encouragement, is it? I think it's every single day. I think actually it's one of the core purposes of the church. Especially when we meet together as Christians, whether in a Christian union, whether in a small group. Maybe the one thing we do more than anything else is encourage one another. 
Let's not give up meeting together, says Paul, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let's come for a moment to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. Encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. I like how J.B. Phillips puts it in his paraphrase. Go on cheering and strengthening one another, as I have no doubt you have been doing. Imagine a church where every person there is your greatest cheerleader. They all believe you can do it. They're all ready to help you make it happen. They're all there to help you back when you stumble. They're all thrilled when you do succeed. That's the kind of church we're called to be. I think it's the kind of church that this church has aspired to be for generations and will aspire to be again. I don't think we're ever there yet, but that's the direction we're headed in. I hear testimonies of people from this church nearly every day of my life as a bishop. All around the county, indeed I think all around the country, ordinary men and women doing extraordinary things. Because somewhere in the background, they were encouraged to get on with it. And I want to encourage you to keep going, to build another generation of people who will do more than they could possibly imagine. But maybe you and I, as those who are asked to encourage, get a glimpse of what God's purposes are for many of our fellow church members. Anyway, let's be a bit more specific, because when the Bible calls us to encourage one another, what exactly does it mean? Well, the word itself in the New Testament for encourage is a beautiful picture in itself. The Greek word the Bible uses means to come alongside, to stand with someone else. And you encourage someone when you come alongside them, when you help them carry the load, when you help them keep going. You guide them in which way to go. It's fascinating that this word encourage is the same word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel. The Holy Spirit, the comforter, the encourager, the one who comes alongside, the one who carries a burden with you. That's what encouragement does. Deeply linked, closely linked to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So how can we as a church, how can we as Christians better come alongside each other? How can we better stand with each other? Well, I want to suggest three ways, and and by the way, we're not limited to these three, but three ways in which someone called Joseph, who came from Cyprus, seemed to exhibit in his life in the Acts of the Apostles. So let me introduce you again to Joseph. He's known normally by his nickname. It's the nickname the apostles gave him, and the nickname is Barnabas. Barnabas, son of encouragement. And if there's anyone in the New Testament pages who has the gift of encouragement, it was this man. And when Paul 
calls us to encourage one another. I believe the one person who's encouraged Paul more than anyone else has been Barnabas. Had the biggest row in the New Testament as well, by the way. We'll get there in five or six minutes. Every time Barnabas is referred to, we see him bringing encouragement. So firstly, we see Barnabas becoming very generous with his own resources. Maybe that's one way we can be an encouragement, practical encouragement to people alongside us. You see, we first encounter Barnabas in the Jerusalem church in the earliest days following the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 4, we see a beautiful picture of what the church can be when she is all that she should be. In Acts 4 verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. You said I didn't make it up. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now this wasn't the first time Barnabas had done encouraging in the church because they already called him the son of encouragement. He was known by that nickname already. But what you see here, and what I think you see several times in Barnabas' life, is that he was the first to step out and do something. He was the first to jump in and help. That's what good encouragers do. They're willing to be the first. They won't wait for someone else to do it first, but once they do it, others join in as well. And Barnabas sells his property and uses it to help the church. Others think, this is an amazing thing I've just seen, that I've just witnessed. I'd like to do that too. And so they do. And I want to tell you that in 30 years as a Christian minister, I have often seen individual acts of generosity create a cycle of generosity. So much so that sometimes your needs are so overwhelmingly met that it becomes embarrassing. There's a surplus. But I've also, by the way, seen the opposite. Actually, I think the opposite can be even quicker than the cycle of generosity. But the moment we get defensive and rather mean and ungenerous, just watch how fast a poverty mentality can grip a family, can grip a church, can grip my wallet. I'll tell you, I can put multiple padlocks on my wallet before you blink. 
if I allow a spirit of poverty or a spirit of meanness to multiply my own heart. I think we're called to be the opposite. I wonder, I wonder if we, all of us, simply ask the Lord, without the left hand knowing what the right hand is doing, is there some act of generosity that you might take a risk with in the next two or three days? Something unexpected, unasked for, but you begin to spiritually discern, I think it might make a difference if I do this. And then stand back and watch what the Lord does. I could give you hundreds of examples of things when I have watched and seen the impossible happen. And then an impact beyond anyone's dreams and probably beyond a dream the donor ever has about what happens when generosity leads to encouragement and becomes a virtuous circle. You see, it's like jump leading the dead battery of your car. It brings it back to life. You know, I've often thought I'd like to live quite close to George, really, because um, it's the one car I know that if my battery's flat, because not only has he got this ridiculously large wheels on his Land Rover, it's got a very powerful battery. And I'm pretty convinced he won't have any 299 jump leads. He'll have those big copper leads that are sort of 20 foot long that will reach to your battery. So you need to, to put your car... Any breakdowns, by the way? It's number six, Juniper Close. Number eight. Eight, is it? Number eight. Don't go to six. It's <laughs> moved to nine now. Could you be the jump starter? (laughs) Barnabas shared his resources. And so Luke was almost in the next sentence able to write, almost as a throwaway comment. There were no needy people in that early Christian community in Jerusalem. What's going to happen in the next few days if you ask the Lord to show you an act of discreet generosity inspired by your prayers with a new imagination? It might be a very small thing. Maybe you prepare a meal for someone else. Maybe you lend your car. Maybe you give a few pounds. Maybe you buy a bag of groceries. And then you might find God calls some of us to bigger things. Maybe you need to buy a week's worth of groceries you may need to give away your car you may need to make a huge donation the world tells you a different thing it tells you you will succeed by acquiring by owning by possessing by getting more and more and by compounding your wealth but God says you succeed as a Christian and you succeed as a church when you give and when you share secondly You encourage when you see in people what God sees in them. It's dramatic in Barnabas' life, and it's been dramatic in the life of Christ Church Winchester. And it happens when you come alongside someone 
and you stand alongside them and then you see in them what God sees in them. This is it's really important here to start digging spiritually because this is not about making a nice, kind statement to the person. It's about spiritually discerning what God can see. It's not about somehow being manipulative in trying to alter someone else's behavior. It's simply looking to see what God sees. Because, of course, God looks at you right the way through. He knows you inside out. He also knows your future. He also knows what you can become through him. He knows what he can do in you, and he knows what he can do through you. And encouragers begin to get a glimpse. They don't get the whole picture. They only get enough picture to help you on the journey. But they get enough of a picture to see what you might be, to see some of the promise, some of the potential, and then to look beyond. And Barnabas does this. He was the very first amongst the Christians to accept the Gentile converts. There were tortuous theological conversations going on in the early church. You know, they make our general sin look like a sort of picnic party. You know, did you have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian? Did you have to stop eating food like roast pork that you loved in order to become a Christian? Deep, difficult conversations. Barnabas just went and lived with them and worshipped with them and taught the faith with them and drew the Gentile converts into the life of Christ. And then equipped them for ministry in their own right. Many Jews could not do it, but Barnabas did. And of course, the most famous example is in Acts chapter 9. Saul has become a Christian, this ruthless enemy of the church with blood on his hands, literally a murderer of Christians. And the Christians were terrified. He walked into the Christchurch evening service and nobody knew what to do. They were stunned. (coughs) No one dared talk to him. You quickly gathered behind the pillar. Barnabas. Barnabas welcomes this enemy of the church who's met Christ on the Damascus Road as a brother. So verse 26 of Acts 9. Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He tries to join the disciples, but they're all afraid, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had had started preaching fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Actually, that was just the beginning of what Barnabas did with Paul. Barnabas takes Paul back to Antioch. He gets him leading the small group in the Alpha course, gets him giving the talks, gets him leading a discipleship course, gets him preaching in the assembly, works with him and builds up Paul as a minister in the local church. Why? Because Barnabas 
came alongside Paul. Who are you coming alongside? And thirdly and finally, those who encourage give people a second chance. Because this is another significant moment in Acts that I want you just to think about in terms of encouragement. Encouragement gives second chances. It doesn't hold people's failures against them. It's willing to extend a hand to help you back to give you a second chance. When Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, they took a young callow man with them called John Mark. John Mark was at theological college, really not very resilient fellow. Needed to man up, if I'm honest. You know, he just flaky. And halfway through the mission trip, he turns and runs. I've had enough. He's going home. Well, I'm with Paul, I'm afraid. That's it. Next time you're recruiting a team, John Mark doesn't make the list. And Paul and Barnabas have a robust argument. For Barnabas says, no, I'm sure Mark should be on the team. And Paul says, over my dead body. In fact, if you want him to come, you can't come either. It doesn't quite say that. That's me guessing that's what it says. Luke's neutral on it. Luke won't tell us whose side he's on, whether Luke thinks Paul was right or Barnabas was right. But what happens, of course, is two missionary trips. So Barnabas now goes off with John Mark. We don't hear anything about what goes on on their trip. And Paul takes Silas, much more reliable guy. But of course, it's not the end of the story, is it? For one thing, John Mark goes on to write the Gospel of Mark. Probably Peter's memoirs, Peter's dictating it to him. And 2,000 years later, it's Mark we're grateful for. It's Mark who's written the foundational document for the church. And Barnabas, lovely though he is, is in the background. But there's also a lovely little surprise, isn't there, in 2 Timothy 4. When Paul, now much older, writes to Timothy, would you get Mark and bring him with you? He's really helpful to me in my ministry. What would have happened if Barnabas had never given John Mark the second chance? What would have been missed? What would have been lost? And so if we are going to use this gift of encouragement, I think it will be prayerful generosity. I think it will be standing alongside and asking the Lord to show you someone else that you can travel with. But I wonder if the most powerful impact will be if we become a church that is the home of those being given a second chance. A place where people whose hearts have been broken, whose dreams have been shattered, whose attempts have failed, who've taken all sorts of wrong turns, will find another group of people 
who in the grace of God are willing to say, try again. The devil uses discouragement as his most effective tool. I wonder if our most effective tool, in fact, I think I'm convinced our most effective tool is the gift of encouragement. Who are you going to encourage tonight in your conversation? The next, the few minutes after the end of this service might be the most spiritually significant minutes of today. Because today is not about nostalgia. It's not about the past. It's about the extraordinary creative work of God through his spirit. For now. Amen.